Section 11 of Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave. Written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Narrative of the Life and Adventures of Henry Bibb, an American Slave. Written by himself. Chapter 11. I attend a prayer meeting. Punishment, therefore, threatened. I attempt to escape alone. My return to take my family. Our sufferings. Dreadful attack of wolves. Our recapture. Some months after Melinda had recovered from her sickness, I got permission from the deacon, on one Sabbath day, to attend a prayer meeting on a neighboring plantation with a few old superannuated slaves, although this was contrary to the custom of the country, for slaves were not allowed to assemble for religious worship. Being more numerous than the whites, there was fear of rebellion and the overpowering of their oppressors in order to obtain freedom. But this gentleman, on whose plantation I attended the meeting, was not a deacon nor a professor of religion. He was not afraid of a few old Christian slaves rising up to kill their master because he allowed them to worship God on the Sabbath day. We had a very good meeting. Although our exercises were not conducted in accordance with an enlightened Christianity, for we had no Bible, no intelligent leader, but a conscience, prompted by our own reason, constrained us to worship God the Creator of all things. When I returned home from meeting, I told the other slaves what a good time we had at our meeting, and requested them to go with me to meeting there on the next Sabbath. As no slave was allowed to go from the plantation on a visit without a written pass from his master, on the next Sabbath several of us went to the deacon to get permission to attend that prayer meeting. But he refused to let any go. I thought I would slip off and attend the meeting and get back before he would miss me and would not know that I had been to the meeting. When I returned home from the meeting, as I approached the house, I saw Melinda, standing out at the fence, looking in the direction in which I was expected to return. She hailed my approach, not with joy, but with grief. She was weeping under great distress of mind, but it was hard for me to extort from her the reason why she wept. She finally informed me that her master had found out that I had violated his law, and I should suffer the penalty which was five hundred lashes on my naked back. I asked her how she knew that I had gone. She said I had not long been gone before he called for me, and I was not to be found. He then sent the overseer on horseback to the place where we were to meet to see if I was there. But when the overseer got to the place, the meeting was over, and I had gone back home, but had gone a nearer route through the woods, and the overseer happened not to meet me. He heard that I had been there, and hurried back home before me, and told the deacon, who ordered him to take me on the next morning, strip off my clothes, drive down four stakes in the ground, and fasten my limbs to them, then strike me five hundred lashes for going to the prayer meeting. This was what distressed my poor companion. She thought it was more than I could bear, and that it would be the death of me. I concluded, then, to run away but she thought they would catch me with the bloodhounds by their taking my track. But to avoid them I thought I would ride off on one of the deacon's mules. She thought if I did, they would sell me. 
no matter i will try it said i let the consequences be what they may the matter can be no worse than it is now so i tackled up the deacon's best mule with his saddle etc and started that night and went off eight or ten miles from home but i found the mule to be rather troublesome and was like to betray me by braying especially when he could see cattle horses or anything of the kind in the woods the second night from home i camped in a cane break down in the red river swamp not a great way off from the road perhaps not twenty rods exposed to wild ferocious beasts which were numerous in that section of the country on that night about the middle of the night the mule heard the sound of horses feet on the road and he commenced to stamping and trying to break away as the horses seemed to come nearer the mule commenced trying to bray and it was all that i could do to prevent him from making a loud bray there in the woods which would have betrayed me i suppose that it was the overseer out with the dogs looking for me and i found afterwards that i was not mistaken as soon as the people had passed by i mounted the mule and took him home to prevent his betraying me when i got near by home i stripped off the tackling and turned the mule loose i then slipped up to the cabin wherein my wife laid and found her awake much distressed about me she informed me that they were then out looking for me and that the deacon was bent on flogging me nearly to death and then selling me off from my family this was truly heart-rending to my poor wife the thought of our being torn apart in a strange land after having been sold away from all her friends and relations was more than she could bear the deacon had declared that i should not only suffer for the crime of attending a prayer-meeting without his permission and for running away but for the awful crime of stealing a jackass which was death by the law when committed by a negro but i well knew that i was regarded as property and so was the ass and i thought if one piece of property took off another there could be no law violated in the act no more sin committed in this than if one jackass had rode off another but after consultation with my wife i concluded to take her and my little daughter with me and they would be guilty of the same crime that i was so far as running away was concerned and if the deacon sold one he might sell us all and perhaps to the same person so we started off with our child that night and made our way down to the red river swamps among the buzzing insects and wild beasts of the forest we wandered about in the wilderness for eight or ten days before we were apprehended striving to make our way from slavery but it was all in vain our food was parched corn with wild fruit such as pawpaws persimmons grapes etc we did at one time chance to find a sweet potato patch where we got a few potatoes but most of the time while we were out we were lost we wanted to cross the red river but could find no conveyance to cross in i recollect one day of finding a crooked tree which bent over the river or over one fork of the river where it was divided by an island I should think that the tree was at least twenty feet from the surface of the water. I picked up my little child, and my wife followed me, saying, If we perish, let us all perish together in the stream. We succeeded in crossing over. I often look back to that dangerous event, even now, with astonishment, and wonder how I could have run such a risk. What would induce me to run the same risk now? What could induce me now to leave home and friends and go to the wild forest, and lay out on the cold ground night after night without covering and live on parched corn 
what would induce me to take my family and go into the red river swamps of louisiana among the snakes and alligators with all the liabilities of being destroyed by them hunted down with bloodhounds or lay myself liable to be shot down like the wild beasts of the forest nothing i say nothing but the strongest love of liberty humanity and justice to myself and family would induce me to run such a risk again when we crossed over on the tree we supposed that we had crossed over the main body of the river but we had not proceeded far on our journey before we found that we were on an island surrounded by water on either side we made our bed that night in a pile of dry leaves which had fallen from off the trees we were much rest broken wearied from hunger and travelling through briars swamps and cane brakes consequently we soon fell asleep after lying down about the dead hour of the night i was aroused by the awful howling of a gang of bloodthirsty wolves which had found us out and surrounded us as their prey there in the dark wilderness many miles from any house or settlement my dear little child was so dreadfully alarmed that she screamed loudly with fear my wife trembling like a leaf on a tree at the thought of being devoured there in the wilderness by ferocious wolves the wolves kept howling and were near enough for us to see their glaring eyes and hear their chattering teeth i then thought that the hour of death for us was at hand that we should not live to see the light of another day for there was no way for our escape my little family were looking up to me for protection but i could afford them none and while i was offering up my prayers to that god who never forsakes those in the hour of danger who trust in him i thought of deacon whitfield i thought of his profession and doubted his piety i thought of his handcuffs of his whips of his chains of his stocks of his thumb-screws of his slave-driver and overseer and of his religion i also thought of his opposition to prayer-meetings and of his five hundred lashes promised me for attending a prayer-meeting I thought of God, I thought of the devil, I thought of hell, and I thought of heaven, and wondered whether I should ever see the deacon there, and I calculated that if heaven was made up of such deacons, or such persons, it could not be filled with love to all mankind, and with glory and eternal happiness, as we know it is from the truth of the Bible. The reader may perhaps think me tedious on this topic, but indeed it is one of so much interest to me that I find myself entirely unable to describe what my own feelings were at that time. I was so much excited by the fierce howling of the savage wolves and the frightful screams of my little family that I thought of the future. I thought of the past. I thought the time of my departure had come at last. My impression is that all these thoughts and thousands of others flashed through my mind while i was surrounded by those wolves but it seemed to be the will of a merciful providence that our lives should be spared and that we should not be destroyed by them i had no weapon of defence but a long bowie-knife which i had slipped from the deacon it was a very splendid blade about two feet in length and about two inches in width this used to be a part of his armour of defence while walking about the plantation among his slaves the plan which I took to expel the wolves was a very dangerous one, but it proved effectual. While they were advancing to me, prancing and accumulating in number, apparently of all sizes and grades, who had come to the feast, I thought just at this time that there was no alternative left but for me to make a charge with my bowie-knife. I well knew from the action of the wolves that if I made no farther resistance, 
they would soon destroy us, and if I made a break at them, the matter could be no worse. I thought if I must die, I would die striving to protect my little family from destruction, die striving to escape from slavery. My wife took a club in one hand, and her child in the other, while I rushed forth with my bowie-knife in hand, to fight off the savage wolves. I made one desperate charge at them, and at the same time making a loud yell at the top of my voice that caused them to retreat and scatter, which was equivalent to a victory on our part. Our prayers were answered, and our lives spared through the night. We slept no more that night, and the next morning there were no wolves to be seen or heard, and we resolved not to stay on that island another night. We traveled up and down the riverside trying to find a place where we could cross. Finally, we found a lot of driftwood clogged together, extending across the stream at a narrow place in the river, upon which we crossed over. But we had not yet surmounted our greatest difficulty. We had to meet one which was far more formidable than the first. Not many days after, I had to face the deacon. We had been wandering about through the cane brakes, bushes, and briars for several days, when we heard the yelping of bloodhounds a great way off, but they seemed to come nearer and nearer to us. We thought after a while that they must be on our track. We listened attentively at the approach. We knew it was no use for us to undertake to escape from them, and as they drew nigh we heard the voice of a man hissing on the dogs. After a while we saw the hounds coming in full speed on our track, and the soul-drivers close after them on horseback, yelling like tigers as they came in sight. The shrill yelling of the savage bloodhounds as they drew nigh made the woods echo. The first impulse was to run to escape the approaching danger of ferocious dogs and bloodthirsty slave-hunters, who were so rapidly approaching me with loaded muskets and bowie-knives, with a determination to kill or capture me and my family. I started to run with my little daughter in my arms, but stumbled and fell down and scratched the arm of little Francis with a briar, so that it bled very much. But the dear child never cried, for she seemed to know the danger to which we were exposed. But we soon found that it was no use for us to run. The dogs were soon at our heels, and we were compelled to stop or be torn to pieces by them. By this time the soul-drivers came charging up on their horses, commanding us to stand still, or they would shoot us down. Of course, I surrendered up for the sake of my family. The most abusive terms to be found in the English language were poured forth on us with bitter oaths. They tied my hands behind me, and drove us home before them to suffer the penalty of a slaveholder's broken law. As we drew nigh the plantation, my heart grew faint. I was aware that we should have to suffer almost death for running off. I was filled with dreadful apprehensions at the thought of meeting a professed follower of Christ, whom I knew to be a hypocrite. No tongue, no pen can ever describe what my feelings were at that time. End of chapter 11 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista